What's up, everybody? Welcome to the Flex Podcast. I'm Matt St. Jean with Joe Howie here bringing you the best, the most consistent Friars coverage around. Uh, we're a couple days after this Providence-Villanova game. Joe and I wanted to take a little bit of time here to think about what happened, think about the big picture, and not react too much, because I can tell you, had we recorded right after that one, it would have been an angry podcast. We didn't want to put one of those out for you. Friars capped the regular season at 24 and 4, 14 and 3 in the Big East, fall at Villanova by two points. There's a lot we can talk about in this game, Joe, but just to start, what were your initial reactions after the loss? Well, there were a lot of expletives. Um, I, you know, listen, it, it, as a Providence fan, you know, we've done this in the past where we've. Um, Ranked the rivalries, and you know, obviously, UConn is up there, URI, but um, just the, you know, UConn, there's a time bias. Villanova is our, our biggest rival right now, um, and when you get swept by them in the regular season, it sucks, you know, uh, especially you know, in a regular season where you've seen ex- a, a tremendous amount of success, you've beaten everyone on the schedule thus far, except for Virginia, and now, except for Villanova, um, they're the only team this season to beat us twice. and uh, they beat us at home and at their gym, especially that that game. It could have been against Villanova. It could have been against the Georgetown. It's a gut wrenching loss when you watch your team overcome a 14 point half halftime deficit to to lose by two, especially when you're hitting big shots, you're draining threes. You know, you're not necessarily getting calls, which we'll elaborate on further. But it, it's a, a gutsy, grinded out game. that essentially means nothing. The loss doesn't mean really anything for us. It's bragging rights for Villanova, but at the end of the day, you already are the Big East regular season champions. You've clinched that one seed in the Big East tournament. So this loss meant nothing, and we still fought tooth and nail like it meant everything. So uh, after a couple of days of digesting that, I think this loss says so much about this Providence team. And, Quite honestly, it, it, like the last one, it says more about Providence than it does about Villanova, to be quite honest with you. And if I'm Jay Wright and the Wildcats, I would be scared shitless to be playing Providence at the Big East tournament. Excuse my French. If you're 12, don't <laughs> listen to that. <laughs> yeah, we'll put the little explicit marker on this podcast. But yeah, if the Friars meet Villanova again this season in the Big East tournament. It will come in the Big East championship. That part of the bracket is set. The Friars are number one. Villanova number two in the Big East. But Joe, you're right that this law, this game told us more about Providence. The metrics actually agree with you on that. Coming into Providence's game against Creighton on Saturday, the Friars were at 44 on Ken Palm. They, they blew them out, moved up five spots, ended up at 39 by the time they took on Villanova. As of us recording this on Friday morning, Friars at 32 now, moved up more spots with that loss to Villanova than with the win against Creighton. And whatever you think about the metrics, what it does tell you, what this game absolutely does tell you, is that the Friars can play a very efficient game of basketball against top competition. That's why you're going to move up. Like it or hate it with Ken Palm, it also affects the way the committee is going to look at you. So anything that bolsters your resume right now, you'll take. Friars get some hopefully some more games next week at least one more game so we'll have more opportunities to add some wins to the resume you get a little bit lucky with some other teams losing you may find yourself on a three line after this i think you're going to be behind villanova unless you beat them in the big east championship but speaking of being behind villanova 
as as great as the comeback was in this game, I also think you have to talk about the fact that the Friars went down 14 points in the first half. And you know what I you know what I, I couldn't stop thinking about the whole time I was watching Joe. What's that Matt? That, that game at Butler. It was the same story. You you play without Al Durham and the team just didn't have that extra oomph in the first half to stay with the opponent. Yeah. And um, they really then they just fell behind and you like we said in the pregame you got to play a good 40 minutes against Villanova because they can play four four really good minutes and take over a game and I feel like we kind of saw that and that was just enough that the Friars couldn't get back over the hump and win the game yeah yeah don't get me wrong we played a fantastic second half um but that first half was garbage and that's the reason why we lost the game and I want to put that out there early and often the reason we lost the game is because of how we played in the first half. Even though Villanova only beat us by two points, the, the tone was set in the first half. Um, and listen, oh, you, you dug yourself a hole early. You had to overcome a 14-point second-half deficit. Deal. You did it. You still couldn't get over the hump. You still couldn't grab that lead. If the, the margin of lead was tighter at halftime, then perhaps, you know, you go into the second half and it's a back and forth rock fight, but you spend the first, the, the first 10 minutes, the better part, the better part of that first 10 minutes of the second half, you know, rock fighting and clawing and scratching to get back in. You finally get even, and then you get into that rock fight. If you spend the entire second half as a rock fight, then your chances of winning are much higher, but mm-hmm. um, you're totally right, Matt. That first half gave me flashbacks to that Butler game where I'm sitting there, you know, my blood pressure is boiling. I'm watching Colin Gillespie push off up and down the court. It, it was, it, it was a typical, you know, Villanova onslaught, if you will. And, you know, it, it was coming at our expense and we've seen Villanova do this to teams this year. We hadn't yet seen them do it to us. And in in the back of my mind, I was thinking, all right, our turn, but the second half obviously changed that narrative. Yeah. And it was, yeah, I mean, that run at the end of the first half, that w- it was just everybody from Villanova. And it looked like looked like the Friars were just playing four on five for that stretch. They just couldn't, couldn't cover with what Villanova was doing. And I think, again, that's what's going to happen. At that point in the game, the Friars were obviously without Al Durham, and they had Watson and Reeves on the bench with two fouls. So in a lot yeah. of ways, you're playing without three starters down the stretch, and of course Villanova's going to do that to you. And we can comment on the officiating. I would like to comment on the officiating, but I, I, we're going to save that till later because you got you got to play with the cards you're dealt. Friars got dealt not a, not a great hand, but you got to find a way to play with it, and they just did not play disciplined enough basketball. Like there are there are a lot of plays out there where you can question the refs, but there were a lot of the fouls, especially on Watson, were ones that are especially the early ones. Those two in the first half, they were they were legit calls. He was not disciplined, and they they weren't doing what they needed to do. And that's where Villanova is going to burn you. That's how you get a, what, a twenty-five to twelve free throw disparity in the game. And if you're in a situation where you're going to play without three starters for eight minutes of the first half. Yeah, you're going to be down 14 to Villanova. That's most teams are going to be down by a lot to Villanova in that scenario. When the guys yeah. were on the floor, Providence was either the same team or a better team, arguably. But you can't discount fouls. You can't discount guys making mistakes to way too many turnovers in this game, too. That's and that's what oh. it was. The Friars were at their peak. The Friars played better basketball than Villanova. But when they played worse basketball, 
it was way worse way worse it's the equivalent of that of the football team that can move the ball up and down the field but when they get into the red zone they're either kicking field goals or turning the ball over all right great you can you can pick up yards but you got to turn it into points you got to make something happen with it that's that's how it felt at points in the first half and for a football team like that i direct you to the current state of the new york giants um (laughs) but no anyway matt i think you're totally right um and i do want to comment on officiating um but you're right. You know, we shot ourselves in the foot for back of a, for lack of a letter, better term, a lot in that first half. And to have 16 turnovers and only nine free throws made. I mean, come on, let's we got to be more disciplined. And listen, I think part of it is um, you're asking guys like Alan Breed and A.J. Reeves to pick up the ball handling slack that otherwise would have been handled by Al Durham. Um you know, you're coming off of the hangover of winning the Big East championship regular season title at home. Um, it's Villanova's last home game. It's the last time Colin Gillespie and Jermaine Samuels are playing on that floor. There's a ton of miscellaneous factors that went into this. Um, but at the end of the day, you came out flat. Well, and actually, you didn't really come out flat. You took a 9-2 lead, but you, you came out sloppy. You were making mistakes. And then, you know, some other factors uh, took away what really could have been a a nice road victory to seal, you know, and put the cherry on top of what has been a fantastic Big East regular season. Yeah. It was a tough game. That's for sure. I got to tell you when the game started, when the Friars knocked down those first three threes, it was like, Oh boy, this is, this is nice. And then it was just like the Butler game, Butler game. They hit their first two shots from the field and went, what one for their next 19. Yeah. That's terrible. It wasn't, it wasn't nearly that bad for Providence, but it was all right. They were getting the open looks from deep, and each their their guys, Reeves, Horkler, Manaya, they each knocked in a triple right off the bat, and then I think all of them missed their second attempts. I'm guessing all of them missed their third attempts as well. That was just one of those nights where, all right, it starts falling, and then it stops right away. And, and when you lose a game by two points, it's you can point to literally any point in the game and say, if this happened differently, you win. Does that actually change the outcome? I have no idea. I think... The Friars, I mean, they got the looks that they wanted, and it was interesting. They really didn't go through Nate Watson for much of this game, and it didn't matter. I think you're seeing something, a new aspect of this Providence team in the last couple of games that we have not seen under Ed Cooley. And it's what this offense can look like when you have multiple guys that can knock down shots from deep. They hit 15 three-pointers in this game. The school record is 17. Yeah. They were they were close to hitting that. And that's what will happen when you have centers that can draw so much attention. If you got guys that are going to draw attention, you're going to get space on the perimeter. And they have multiple guys. They have really three or four guys that can knock down those shots right now. Yeah, I've, I've seen a lot of, of uh, I don't know what to call pushback on social media from Villanova fans saying, you know, th- you know, this is a freak thing for Providence to hit this many threes. Well, actually, we just hit 14 threes against Xavier. A.J. Reeves, on his own, hit seven against uh, Creighton. You know, th- this is becoming an, uh, something of what has been abnormal for this team is now becoming a normality because guess what? A lot of teams are going to throw uh, pressure at Nate Watson, and that's no surprise. I-, I think what's surprising is now that we have the healthy roster of sharpshooters from beyond the arc is that we're making these three-pointers. Um, Villanova and Jay Wright basically said, all right, we're going to take away Watson. You have to beat us from outside. Horkler and Reeves said bet. 
and they went to town. If you look at the stat sheet, Noah Horkler was five of eight from the game. AJ Reeves was five of nine from the game. All of their shots came from beyond the arc, and Reeves and Horkler each had 15 points. That's incredible. AJ Reeves is one. He's shooting the lights out recently, and you know this is a fantastic trend for him going into next weekend. But uh, for Horkler to hit five, for Manaya to hit three. And then Bynum hit a really crucial three late in the second half, too. So yeah. uh, across the boards, you know, if Durham was healthy, I'm sure there would have been one or two for him, too. If the other five guys that play a majority of the minutes aside from Watson are hitting shots from deep, this is a frightening, frightening Providence team to play because you pull those bodies out of the paint. Watson goes to town. You you send them in and we've got five guys that can beat you from beyond the arc. So pick your poison um, yeah. and listen. Jay Wright put the high ball screen defense on display for the rest of the conference. He also just put our three point shooting on display. So thank you, Mr. Wright. Um, you know, I, I'm very excited to see how teams scout us going forward. Yeah, uh, th- there was that stretch in that uh, was about five minutes left of the game where Bynum hits a shot, pulls you within two, three from Gillespie, three from Reeves, three from Moore, three from Bynum, just back and forth, just it was, it's that's two heavyweights throwing punches at each other and just they're just landing every punch and not going down. That was remarkable. That's something we haven't seen from Providence in a while, but it was just they just couldn't hit that one shot they needed to get over the top. They didn't lead in the second half, even though the Friars came back and tied the game. They didn't lead. And that's kind of when what did we say? They needed to control the game. Villanova controlled the game, even though the Friars got off to that hot start. They let Villanova control it. And once that happened, it was tough. They did a great job of hanging in there. It takes a great team to hang in there with a Villanova team playing like that. But just not not quite enough. But I, going back to what you said earlier, if you're Jay Wright, I don't think you want to see this team again. If anything, Matt, you know, the, the narrative that we had predicted, control the tempo, um, uh, not, excuse me, get Villanova out of comfort and then start controlling the tempo happened in reverse. Um, mm-hmm. Villanova was in comfort to begin and then became just out of tempo yeah. towards the end of the game. They looked, and you could see it, uh, the places, the faces of the players. I think that is the most disjointed I think I've ever seen Jermaine Samuels play. And, and by the way, that foul that he called on Jared Bynum was a foul. Um, he, he basically threw him to the ground. So say what you want. You know, Villanova plays a little chippy. They play a little aggressive for their own good. But I digress. Back to the point, Matt. You're right. If I'm Jay Wright in this Villanova squad, I do not want to see Providence again. Uh, And whether it be the Big East Tournament Championship or sometime later in March, if I'm Jay Wright in the Wildcats, I would be frightened to see this team again. Yeah. Yeah. Because it's, I mean, you just, the Friars just went on the road down a starter and pushed Villanova to the limit, even though the Wildcats were up 14. So, I. I think another thing you, we got to say about this game, the defense was much better. Villanova, for the most part, was not getting those same open threes off the high screens. No nope. defense was a lot better on those. They forced Villanova to go to other things, which was awesome. The, the tough part was that it was <laughs> it was Caleb Daniels night. I mean, he just he's had an up and down year for them. He was up. 20 points. He was knocking down shots. And I mean, Gillespie and Moore had good games. Nothing spectacular. Typical Gillespie and Moore games. The paint guys for Villanova didn't score a ton. 
but it was Daniels who was just he was the guy that knocked down shots when nobody else was finding a rhythm and that proved to be the difference maker and you know what I mean if that's how it is, if it's that's the sixth starter for Villanova, essentially, that's the way they play it. They're like Providence. They got six starters. The Friars have six starters. So if it, co- it comes down to their sixth guy to beat you, you know, some nights that's going to happen. Get them again. And I like the odds of it being the Friars sixth guy that does it. Yeah, yeah listen, last time it took Gillespie uh, a career night for Villanova to beat us. Um, this time around, you know, it took Caleb Daniels, maybe not a career night, but one of his better nights to beat us. Um, and also, mind you, this was without Al Durham. You know, this is a narrative that we heard a lot of aimed at the Friars. You won without, while well, this team had no player. You won while this team was missing a player. X, Y, Z, the other thing, no one except for Friar fans are acknowledging that Villanova beat us by two while we were missing a starter. So, again, Tip of the cap to Caleb Daniels, because otherwise I would say that he sucks because I don't really think he's anything special. He had a good night and he had a good enough night to edge us by two. Fine. Congrats. Take it and pack your lunchbox. But (laughs) at the end of the day, if you had a fully healthy prior squad, I think we win this game by five or six, to be completely honest with you, Matt. Yeah. And I'm I'm mostly in agreement with you there. You can and you can play the F's game all you want, because. Lord knows what happens. You know, maybe Al Durham goes out there and has an awful game and the Friars lose by more. You never know what's going to happen. Yep. But I would like Providence's odds. And that's why, I mean, I think that one, I think it would be really good for the conference to have these two teams meet again because they always play quality basketball and they're always games that come down to the wire. If this is the Big East Championship on Saturday, if you're Val Ackerman, you're very happy because <laughs> that means you're going to have a loud crowd, have a full crowd and lots of people watching on TV. Not to mention, from a rating standpoint, too, the last time Providence and Villanova met in the 2018 Big East Championship game, it was the most watched college basketball tournament championship game and college basketball championship game to that point in the season. So I I, I think that says a lot. You know, they're two very similar schools with respect to structure and size, two very similar basketball programs. So it's a game that draws a lot of fans and a lot of attention. So if these two teams meet again in the Big East Championship, you know, we're in for one hell of a basketball game. Yeah, I do want to talk about that Big East tournament. But before we do that, I said we were going to comment on the officials. I mentioned Val Ackerman. I think she has to upgrade the officials in the conference this offseason because it's gotten bad. I don't think, put it this way, the Friars did not play on a floor that was entirely fair and i say that knowing that there were bad calls that went against villanova too there was the one with uh, i forget who gillespie driving to the basket where bynum clearly fouled them and they just said the ball went out of bounds off of bynum and it was just like what is that like that was a foul croswell got away with a blatant travel on one of his baskets and yet still the call the, the two calls in my eyes that were significant factors one, the second foul on A.J. Reeves partway, halfway through the first half where he gets called for a charge when I was at Jordan Longino. It, it was one of their younger guys. Yeah, yeah. I, I know what you're talking about here. The, yeah, I think it was Longino had his foot on the restricted circle. And, and yeah, that, that left foot is sliding. Yeah. And the baseline official called that play. He had a, a bird's eye view right there of everything. But continue, Matt. Sorry. Yeah. I'll comment after. <laughs> uh, Reeves gets called for the charge on one that was very clearly a block. And 
just and, and it's by rule. This isn't one of those scenarios where it's a subjective thing. His foot's on the line. So that's what the line is there for. If his foot's on the line, then he cannot be the offensive player cannot be called for a charge in that scenario the way it happened. So yep. that should have been a blocking foul. The shot went in. That should have been an and one. So that should have been two points with a shot with free throw for the third from AJ Reeves, one of your better shooters. And instead, the points don't count and Reeves has to go to the bench for I think the rest of the that first half. I that think he came tough. in for like the final couple of minutes, but you're right, Matt. That was a momentum yep. changer. Yeah, and then the other one, the Friars were down late, and they were playing the free throw game for the last minute of this one, just going back and forth. The Friars were doing a really good job with their press, making them struggle. And was that Caleb Daniels who caught the inbounds pass? He, the the travel, the no call travel. Yeah, that was Caleb Daniels. Yes. No, he caught an inbounds pass and clearly traveled. He takes three steps, and again, it's one of those. It's obvious you can count it, and. You blow the whistle. You got to call it in that scenario. And if they called it, it would have been the Friars ball inbounding under the basket with four seconds left down by one point. The Friars win. I don't know. But that's a better scenario than what they had before. Absolutely. And I said I said that there were two calls. There's a third. And that's going to be the, the three second violation that didn't get called on Eric Dixon where he scored. I don't yeah. know what that was. Kevin Farahar has a whole video of that up on his page, so go check that out. Yep. And I just I, I replied to him. I was like, am I misunderstanding the rules here? Because this seems so blatant that I can't understand how it wasn't called. Uh, and I'll, I'll go in reverse order in which um, you just relayed those. So the, the Eric Dixon three seconds. Um, I love Raft and I love Gus Johnson uh, I, I, to be completely unbiased. I think Raf was totally biased towards Villanova that game. It was a little tough to listen to. And I love the guy. I always sing his praises, but this one was, this was one of his tougher games for me to listen to because again, he's just loving and loving and loving Villanova. But anyway, you can tell his age too, complaining about the three point shooting constantly. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, oh yeah. Even Raf who was loving Villanova in this one said, that's a three point. He said, that's a three second violation. And what I what blows my mind, and this is why us Providence fans do not like Jay Wright and Villanova fans, they're they're looking for a foul on Watson on that defense when Eric Dixon is clearly taking seven seconds in the paint with his pivot foot. And you go and you watch the, the replay that Kevin Farhar posted, you can watch the shot clock dwindle as Eric Dixon is in the paint, it's a clear three-second violation, and no one's calling it. It's a clear bias towards Villanova. Going back, Caleb Daniels, one step, two step, three step, he slides, nothing. And that, that could have been a pivotal call to help shift momentum towards us. And again, no call. And the A.J. Reeves one, the, the Longino's foot is sliding in the slow motion replay, you see his foot is on the line, his right foot is on the line, and his left foot is sliding. Not only are his feet not set, he's within the restricted circle and moving. It's a it's a textbook call, and they got it wrong. I, I, I preface this at the beginning. We lost this game because of turnovers, because of how sloppy we played in the first half, and because we dug ourselves a 14-point deficit. That is why we lost the game. But damn playing a game, playing your heart out and having officials shift momentum via terrible no calls or missed calls is so, so, so disappointing. And 
it, it's it's even more disappointing when you see uh, Colin Gillespie and Jay Wright and Jermaine Samuels pissing and crying when the calls are called on them because they don't realize how many calls they do get, how many no calls are are missed or or, or given in their favor. Again, we did not lose the game because of officiating, but the officiating of this game absolutely had an impact on Villanova's momentum and momentum derived, uh, taken away from the Friars, especially with that Caleb Daniels travel no call. But it it, it was really disappointing to see that. Yeah, and it's just we've been complaining about it all year long, and I know we've made a point to complain about it when the Friars win because we don't want to yeah. look like we're biased here. We want fair officiating. We don't want a scenario where you're – nobody is ever happy about it when you come out of a game thinking, man, if that call didn't happen, we would have won. That's just the most infuriating thing, and it's happened far too often with the Big East this year. Like, you go back to that Providence-St. John's game at the dunk. That was one of the worst officiated games that I have ever watched. It was so bad. And it's, oh, been, yeah. this, it's been this way all year. You, It's just the officials throwing out Dan Hurley the way they did in that game a couple weeks ago in the UConn-Villanova game. Things like that where it's just, come on. I understand why the refs are doing it, but that's too much. The refs are interjecting yeah. themselves into the game and they're not being consistent. You got that Absolutely. you're either letting people play or you're calling things light, but you got to you got to figure out what, what it is that you're doing here. And I don't know. Like I'm willing to accept that when you play Villanova with how good they are, how disciplined they are, the way that they move on offense, the shot fakes, all of that, you're probably going to foul them a bunch because their their style of offense it's just it's tough to defend. It's why they've been so good for so long. So I'm not surprised to see that the Friars had 22 fouls against them the first time and 21 the second time. 22 tied for the high this season, 21 the second highest this season. Not shocked by that. When you have a free throw disparity the way it is, that didn't make as much sense to me. No. Part of that's the Friars weren't going to the basket as much. They were relying on outside shots. But still, you just look at it and it makes you go, wow, this has to be better. And I, I have learned the names of too many officials this year. I don't want to know the names of the refs. I don't want to have to look to see the refs and go, oh, it's going to be one of those games. This isn't this isn't Little League baseball where you're looking at the umpire and be like, oh, we got this kid again. Like, yeah, this is nearly a professional thing. So let's let's up the quality here. And not to mention, Matt, too, on a night when the free throw disparity was as wide as it is, um, Providence makes three more free throws and we win the game. So take with that what you will. But for me, as a spectator, as a podcaster, as a fan, that means that we make three more free throws, even with the disparity, even with the poor officiating, we win the game. So, again, if that doesn't tell you that officiating had something to do with the loss, not it's not the cause of the loss. Absolutely not. But it certainly shifted the momentum, gave Villanova opportunities at the stripe, and quite frankly, took opportunities away from Providence. So, again, we didn't lose the game because of officiating, and I'm going to drill that point home because we are not that those we are not the type of podcasters or reporters to say that. But when the officiating is objectively terrible, you need to point it out and you need to discuss it. And we do it both ways, Matt. I, I think you made a great point. Even in Providence wins, we will talk about poor officiating. And the St. John's game at the dunk is a great example. There was one play where Al Durham lowered his shoulder and basically rugby tackled uh, Julian Champagny. Nothing. No call. And I thought that was a bad no call. 
Yeah. And it's just been, I don't know. It's if you're going to let that go, you got to let things like that go in both directions and call it evenly. And they don't. I think the thing that bothers sports fans more than anything else is inconsistency. You can get annoyed if they're letting players play too much. and You can get annoyed if they're calling ticky tack stuff. But either way, if it happens at both ends of the floor, you're okay with it. And I don't think it did not feel like there was a clear standard in this game because no. I don't know. I, I agreed with you. I thought that Caleb Daniels did hit Jared Bynum and that was a foul, but I also don't know if that was consistent with what they were calling a foul all game long. Yeah. And I, I'm not going to blame Caleb Daniels for being upset about that because I don't think he expects that to be a foul after everything else that has happened all game. Exactly. So yeah. it's been, I don't know. I, if anybody that follows me on Twitter, you see my Val, please, <laughs> tweets. They were on full display Tuesday night. Yes, they were. Um, yeah. And, and one more comment, because I don't want to dwell on this too much, Matt, but when you set the precedent that physicality and, you know, extra contact beyond a ticky-tack foul is okay, that's how players get hurt, you know? When you set the, the, the precedent that, it's okay for Colin Gillespie to push off before he takes a three-pointer. Someone's going to get hurt doing that. Or when Gillespie does get called for the push-off, he's going to act like a whiny baby when it's called on him. So yeah, you, when, you can't, when you, you can't blame Gillespie for getting upset. I mean, it happened in the UConn game. He got called for a push-off in that game. The dude pushes off constantly, but he's done it for his whole career and it never gets called. So yeah, you're going to be upset when it finally gets called against you because as far as you're concerned, that's never been a foul. Yeah. <laughs> I, I just, but, yeah. I, listen, at the end of the day, what happened happened. We didn't lose because of officiating, but it definitely had a, a significant impact on the way the game was played and we'll leave it at that. Hopefully the officials in the Big East tournament are, are an improvement from what we saw on Tuesday night. They won't be, but we can hope. <laughs> they certainly uh, be. Yeah. And let's talk about the Big East tournament here. We got one more day of basketball. Approximately, if there's no overtimes, it'll be 200 more minutes of basketball in the Big East. All played on Saturday. It's an awesome slate from start to finish. This is going to be exciting. I know I'm going to be keeping an eye on this all day long. I'm going to start by saying what what teams are locked into seeds because some of these are for sure. Now, Providence will be the one seed. They will play Tuesday at noon. Villanova will be the two seed. Sorry, I said Tuesday, Thursday at noon. Villanova will be the two seed. They'll play Thursday at seven o'clock. St. John's confirmed seven seed. They'll play Wednesday at seven o'clock. Xavier locked into the eighth seed. They will play the very first game Wednesday at 430 and Georgetown locked into that 11 seed. They'll play the late <laughs> game Wednesday night. So that leaves kind of a couple areas here open. One seeds three through six are all up in the air right now. That's Creighton, UConn, Marquette, Seton Hall. If Creighton beats Seton Hall, then the Blue Jays will be at three and UConn will be at four. I believe if that happens, that pretty much locks in Creighton three, UConn four, Marquette five, Seton Hall six. I could be completely wrong on that. I, I have to double check the yeah. that, that tweet yeah. you sent out, Matt. Yeah, no, I'm looking at it right now. If Creighton beats Seton Hall, then that locks it in as Creighton's the three, UConn's the four, Marquette is the five, Seton Hall is the six. The other okay, thing that can it. happen... The nine and the ten can flip flop. Right now, nine is Butler. DePaul is ten. Uh, DePaul is yeah. DePaul's ten. If Butler loses to Villanova at home, and DePaul beats UConn at UConn, 
they will swap and DePaul will become the nine seed, which if that happens, that is the nightmare scenario for Providence where it's DePaul's day. If you're well, you're going to play the winner of one of those and it guarantees that UConn will be on your side of the bracket. Yeah, that, that's a nightmare. Um, DePaul and Xavier are the two teams that took us to overtime at home at the dunk. Um, Xavier took us to three overtimes. They're the teams that, you know, are for lot. They're playing so desperate right now. Xavier has been the biggest disappointment in the conference this season. And we can talk, and that says a lot because Georgetown is winless. Um, Xavier is just spiraling and spiraling. Travis Steele is most certainly in the hot seat. They went from a top 25 ranked team to finishing below seventh in the conference. Um, just yeah, they were. Pre- I think they were in the preseason poll. They were picked third, if I'm not mistaken. That's awful. Um, and then you've got DePaul. Um, Tony Stubblefield is doing a great job in his sec- in his first year. This is a DePaul team that's finding its stride with Javon Freeman Liberty. They just beat Marquette by 11. Um, I don't want to see them again because don't get me wrong. You know, I think Providence is the better team than DePaul. But they're chippy as hell, and they're playing with chip on their shoulder. They don't like that they are the the kick me when I'm down team in the conference, and they want to change the narrative surrounding that that program. So, I don't want to play Xavier or DePaul. I think best case scenario for us is Butler. You already got their mm-hmm. best shot at Hinkle, and you were able to withstand a 19 point deficit without Al Durham. You know, I, I I think this is a Butler team where if we face them again, you know, we're just gonna you know, out tough them. Um, yeah. I don't want to make Butler's, any too. Butler's been historically really bad at the Big East tournament. They have won two games ever. So I, I'm not, I'm not super scared about facing them. Not in the way. I mean, Xavier with what they've done in DePaul. I mean, DePaul's hot right now. They've won, I think three in a row. Yeah. DePaul is on a three game win streak right now. Yeah. So oh, I'd like to stay away from them. <laughs> yeah. The other thing too, Al Durham. We don't know if he's going to be good to go because Ed Cooley said Tuesday night that if Tuesday were the Big East championship, <laughs> Al Durham would not have been able to play. Yeah, he did say that. Um, and you know, Matt, this is an injury with Al that is just so difficult to navigate from an outside perspective right now because in one breath you've got Cooley saying this is a really serious injury. We don't expect Al to play following the conclusion of the Butler game in which he sat the entire game. Then you have Al starting against Xavier, starting against Creighton and putting up double figures in both of those outings. So again, I, I think, you know, this uh, sitting him against Villanova was another opportunity, uh, you know, taken by the coaching staff to get him rest in anticipation of the postseason. because at the end of the day, they played hard against Villanova, but win or lose, it had nothing to do with the Big East regular season championship. So I think you get away with resting Al and you walk away with a two-point loss. Like, okay, Al's rested. He's going to go into the Big East tournament on a near two weeks rest. You know, I think you like those odds better than having him take a spill or, you know, fall out of bounds like he did against Creighton and, you know, stressing that sports hernia even further. I think we if – push comes to shove and we need him, we will see him at Madison Square Garden. But I think right now the 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 card that the coaching staff and the medical staff is playing is rest him when possible. 
Yeah. And I think, I mean, we're going to see what happens. It's, I have no read on this situation. I think you kind of got to expect Durham won't play until you see him just out of an abundance of caution. Yep. Uh, but I mean, we'll, we'll see. And this is, we'll see how this Big East tournament goes. Because the, the matchups could be really bad for Providence. But at the same time, if the matchups are bad and they win anyway, that could help you a ton. You get Xavier at noon on Thursday, and then you got to play UConn on Friday. If you win both of those games, that helps your resume a lot, especially if you're able to do it handily. It does. You're, if you're able to blow out one of those teams, oh boy, now you're adding those are tournament teams. You're basically adding a quadrant one. Yeah, either one of those would be a quadrant one victory. If you could add two quadrant one victories to your resume, That'll help you. And yeah. if then you never know what would happen on Saturday. But obviously, I mean, I think like, the expectation is Providence makes it to Friday. Making it to the uh, championship is a hard ask. I'm not going to say that that's the expectation, but you got to win at least one game. No, you have to win Thursday. I think winning Thursday is a very fair expectation for this Providence Friars team that has overachieved this season as a whole finishing the regular season 24 and four and 14 and three in conference play is historic. The expectation is you win on Thursday, uh, regardless of who the, who the opponent is. And the reason we say that we're fearful of some opponents is because some opponents will be more difficult to beat than others. But this is also a Providence team that has not shied away from beating difficult opponents at the big East tournament. Let's rewind to the 2018 Big East tournament. You had to play a very good Creighton team. Then you had to play the number one seeded Xavier Musketeers before facing Villanova in the championship. That those were all. None of those opponents were cupcakes. And quite honestly, I think many Big East fans had written Providence off before the Creighton game had even begun. And there we were in the championship. So you just you have to play tough, tight, physical, defensive basketball. And I don't want to get too deep into it because. We will be doing a Big East tournament preview, but um, you know you play who you play who's in front of you, but mm-hmm. you got to play them good. The expectation yeah. is you win on Thursday, regardless of who it is. Now I will say, I, I had just kind of made this connection. If the Friars get Butler on Thursday, <laughs> do you know what this is, Joe? The third Big East tournament, or is it the third? The- the same matchup that would have been the 2020 Big East tournament. Is that what you're going for? Yep. That's exactly what it was. The game that got canceled in 2020, the Friars would get that. Four five. Yeah, that was the, it was the four or five on in two thirty on Thursday in 2020. This time around, it would be the noon matchup. That would be, that'd be one, one heck of a way to, uh, to kind of put yourself back in those shoes the two years ago. That was the game we were at and it didn't happen. So for us personally, that'd be a nice little redemption. We finally get to see the game that's been two years in the making. Hey, the Big East tournament that's been two years in the making. Come on now. Seriously, it's been they haven't played a Big East tournament game with fans since March 11th of 2020. Wow. Yeah. And even then, that was the Wednesday night, Matt. Mm -hmm. I was at I was at those games. It was, I'd say Madison Square Garden was 65% full. Um, yeah, the, the listed attendance was 17,000. Yeah. So. And they announced partway through those games that there would be no fans the next day. <laughs> how was how that feeling being there, being told no, no fans the next day? That's got to make you a little bit anxious when you hear that. It's not honestly, safe Matt, for, for us to be here tomorrow, but we can be here right now. <laughs> uh, honestly, Matt, it, 
that was back also, mind you, when we knew nothing about this virus. Um, yeah. For, for, for all we knew, it was a cold. Um, this is before any, any, anything was known. Um, and here we are, we're sitting there, you know, shoulder to shoulder, everyone, no masks, nothing. I'm saying tomorrow there's no fans. There's booing going on in the arena. Like everyone's like, what's the difference from now to 12 hours from now? Like the, the COVID's going to come in with a knife and, and stab everybody. That was, that was the mindset that everyone had. And obviously I know how we know how things unfolded with this deadly yeah. disease, but that was the mindset in the moment. And, and just to give you a snapshot in time, um, yeah. crazy stuff. <laughs> yeah. All right. Uh, before the big East turn, we got five games on Saturday. I think we should wrap this up here. I'm going to run through these five games. We can make some quick predictions, just have a little bit of fun with it. And we'll send, send you all on your merry way. Does that sound good, Joe? Sounds good to me. All right. Tipping off at noon on Saturday at Hinkle Fieldhouse, Villanova at Butler. This is the building Villanova has struggled in. How do you think this one goes? I'm going Bulldogs. Um, Again, you know, this is, like you said, Matt, a Villanova team that has struggled at Butler. I think last year Butler was in a very similar predicament, and they beat Villanova at Hinkle. If I'm incorrect, then – Sorry, but I, I think this is a Butler team that's itching for wins right now. Um, and this is a Villanova squad that's coming off of a tough home win. You know, they, they Villanova went into halftime thinking they had it in the bag. They come out of the game, you know, happy with a two-point victory. They, this is a Butler squad that's looking for a quality win to project them into some momentum going into the Big East tournament. I think, Vill, I think Butler wins this one, especially because – their last top of the league matchup at, at Hinkle Fieldhouse was against the Friars, and they lost a heartbreaker. Butler's Butler's thirsty; they're desperate. I think Butler beats Villanova. It's going to be an interesting one, I believe, and I don't have the stat in front of me, but uh, Tommy Godin, the Big East Coast bias writer, I was talking to him. He covers Villanova. He was telling me that, that Villanova's lost five of their last six at Hinkle, including they lost uh, to Baylor there in the NCAA tournament last year. <laughs> oh, yeah. my God. So it's uh, not a place that they've done well. Despite that, I'm going to pick Villanova kind of for all of the reasons you just said, but in reverse, it would it feels very Villanova to go win a game that means nothing just because like that. It's very Villanova to just go spoil somebody else's senior day in a game that means nothing to them because they just they're playing for seeding and they all they do is the win. Like that's their goal. They just want to win everything. I don't think they're going to take their foot off the gas at all. I think you got some players there that right here in the whispers would have they play out there. So I'm not going to be shocked if they kind of put it together. I'm going to take Villanova. I think it'll be close, but I'm going to take Villanova. Okay. All right. I think that's fair. Yeah. Next up, 2.30. They got these games spaced very nicely. 2.30. This is on Fox, too. The first three games on Saturday are on Fox. Seton Hall at Creighton. This is probably the most consequential matchup of the day. I'm intrigued about this one. Creighton playing at home. Oh, boy. That's going to be a tough ask for Seton Hall, I think. Uh, I'm going to say the same thing, Matt. I think Seton Hall at Xavier is an easier task than Seton Hall at Creighton. Um, Xavier's a kick them while they're down type of team. Creighton just beat Connecticut and they beat them at home. So Creighton's playing with some house money right now, riding momentum. I'm going with the Blue Jays. Um, I also think Seton Hall has been too inconsistent to pull off this kind of victory on the road. 
Yeah, I tend to agree with everything you just said. I think Creighton plays much, much better at home. They rarely lose in that building. Uh, as far as I can, yeah, they only have one loss at home in conference play. And yeah. they have, they, I mean, they have a habit of getting blown out on the road and then coming back home and blowing teams out. So, I mean, we'll see. I like Creighton, though. I like Ray McDermott. I honestly think, if not for what Providence has done, there's an alternate timeline where Greg McDermott's winning Big East Coach of the Year because what he's done with that group of players and they're playing a different style of ball than they usually do. He's adjusted well. He brought in Ryan Hawkins. Maybe without Ryan Nemhard, this is too tough of an ask for Creighton. But I, I'm, I'm taking them here. It's, it's I'll, take, be close. I'll take them too. Yeah, this is probably the best game on, or at least the most interesting game on Saturday. Five o'clock, also on Fox. DePaul at UConn. Can the Blue Demons pull the upset? <laughs> no. <laughs> I, I want to troll UConn right now and say that they're going to lose to DePaul. I just don't think DePaul is going to do it. Um, and the reason I say that is because UConn is just so overly athletic and DePaul is so overly emotionally chippy. I can easily see Brandon Johnson picking up a technical foul while guarding Isaiah Whaley. I mean, the, and Nick Onjenda getting stuffed by Adama Sonogo. Like, this is a, a DePaul team that has a, has an all-league scorer in Javon Freeman Liberty, but they cannot out-athleticism UConn. And yeah. I, this says a lot because everyone who listens to this knows how I feel about UConn, but I just think UConn is going to abuse DePaul. Um, and I think this is going to be a DePaul team that maybe picks up a technical foul out of frustration just because they're so non-disciplined with their emotional chippiness. I think UConn wins this easily. I think it's going to be close, but I agree. Chippy, I think it'll be decisive. I think UConn is the better team. I think they play similar styles of basketball. And with the exception of, I think Javon Freeman Liberty is better than RJ Cole. Absolutely, I agree. UConn is better at every other position. And Javon Freeman Liberty isn't that much better than RJ Cole. Not enough to win this game single-handedly. I think you can keep it close. I think it's going to be an entertaining game. But I, I think that UConn will pull it out. So with our picks so far, that would make it a Butler-Xavier game with the Friars playing the winner of that. And Creighton at three, UConn at the four. So UConn at this point would be playing Marquette in the game after us on Thursday. And with the Friars win, they'd play the winner of that one. That's what the bracket would look like with our picks so far. Two more games. The late night games, the Fox Sports one, seven o'clock, Georgetown at Xavier. I already made my pick for this one on Twitter, but I want to hear your thoughts. Georgetown. <laughs> okay, yeah, me too. <laughs> I, 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 this is this game just narrative wise is lined up perfectly for Georgetown to pick up their first conference win. Xavier's absolutely spiraling. Travis Steele has no idea what to do. Fremantle sucking his thumb. Georgetown is winless in conference play and is hungry. I think Georgetown wins beat Xavier. I just I, I think it's destiny written in the stars that Patrick Ewing picks up his first win and abuses the team that's down bad right now. I think Georgetown wins. It's going to be really funny when the coach that gets fired at the end of the season is Travis Steele and not Patrick Ewing after this game. (laughs) (laughs) And especially after Georgetown just came out and said they support Patrick Ewing. Like, listen, I, I like Patrick Ewing. I know you do, too. I think him being the head coach of Georgetown and winning the Big East tournament is, is just 
as a, the sport of basketball as a whole, I think it's just so fantastic for the sport. It, mind you, it's abs, it's astronomically fantastic for the Big East and the history of the conference and that school. But for basketball as a whole, it's just that was a fantastic storyline. The, the man has not won a conference game this season, and the athletic department is backing him. Uh, I just, I, it's it's amazing. Yeah, it's remarkable what's going on there. Right, we can do a whole podcast talking about Georgetown basketball. Xavier is far and away the better team here, but they have just, they've struggled so much at the end of seasons. And I'm not going to believe at this point that they can put a team away until it happens. Like, I'm not going to believe that they can get one of these clutch wins that they need to until it happens under Travis Steele. This is three years in a row that this has happened. And it appears that we are well on our way towards Xavier stumbling at the finish line in conference play and then being, uh, what do you call looking at a first-round exit in the Big East tournament. This is a Xavier team, by the way, that two weeks ago was a sure thing for March Madness. Now, eh, they're, they're popping up on some, some bubble watches. Yeah, is not as solid as it was. Xavier has progressively and successfully worked themselves out of, you know, an at-large bid and onto the bubble, in my personal opinion. Um, with that said, I still don't want to see them at Madison Square Garden because I think no. if they're going to take that as an opportunity to play some payback ball. But, um, you know, I just think for Georgetown, this is a great opportunity for them to, to win against a, a quality opponent that is not playing well right now. Yeah. yeah. In the last week... Joe, Xavier has dropped from 25 in the net to 39. Wolf. Yeah. And, I mean, this is a team, they were 11 in the net back in December at one point. They were 20 on February 15th, two and a half weeks ago. And here they are. This is, you lose this game to Georgetown, and Xavier will have played themselves from a sixth seed to out of the tournament, or at least on the bubble, in the span of like three weeks. That is impressively terrible. Yeah, so we'll see what happens. It's probably bad for the Big East if Xavier loses this, but it's also really, really funny. It, it's it's comically terrible. Um, yeah. But let's go to the last game. Yeah, last game of the Big East regular season is also the first meeting between these two teams all year. St. John's at Marquette. Somehow I did not realize this until yesterday. These teams did not meet yet. They got their first game canceled because of COVID. This game's out in Milwaukee. These are the two fastest teams in the Big East. Their seeding is pretty much locked in. At this point, I don't think Marquette's probably going to be able to do much about their seeding based on what happens. I don't know if they control their destiny. Let me consult the uh, the little seeding thing here. St. John's is, no matter what, they're in at a seven seed. Okay. Yeah, if so... Marquette is locked into a five seed if they win or Seton Hall loses, so... Only if Seton Hall beats Creighton will this game have any implications for Marquette where they need to win to stay at the five seed. Okay. Um, and St. John's is locked in. So very little seeding implications here, but I think we're going to get interesting basketball. I think we're going to get high-paced basketball. I will. I think we're going to get some good uniforms for this one, too. I'm assuming we're going to get the St. John's Reds versus any of the Marquette uniforms. I like them all. So we'll get some good colors there. Absolutely, Matt. Um I'm I'm trying to gather my thoughts on on who to pick for this game because we have no we have no former matchup to go off of. But if I had to pick, I, I think it's it's got to be Marquette. Um, 
again, Seton Hall is locked, uh, not Seton Hall, St. John's is locked into that seven seed. Um, they're coming off of a beat down over Xavier. Marquette's coming off of a loss. I just think with respect to objective basketball storylines um, and the way that the, both of these teams have played up until this point in the season, I think the momentum favors Marquette. Yeah, I, I agree. Marquette has not lost at home since January 1st. They play well there. St. John's is woefully inconsistent. It would not shock me if St. John's went out there and put up 90 points and was just blitzing the hell out of this Marquette offense and their defense was tearing people apart. It's not going to surprise me if they get blown out and lose by 30 points because you never know which St. John's team is going to show up. They looked good yeah. last time out. They added Tariq Coburn into the starting lineup, and he's been he's kind of found something recently. But I'm going with Marquette here to cap the regular season. No, I agree. Uh, Marquette. Yeah. And if that happens, oh, man, a Marquette-UConn game, 2.30 on Thursday, that's going to be an interesting one. Uh, honestly, Matt, I didn't want to say it, but if UConn is on our side of the bracket, I would be less frightened if they're playing Marquette. Yeah, I can see that. I mean, the Friars only played UConn once this year, and it was without Sunogo. So we don't really know how that matchup works with both teams at full strength. But UConn's a good True. team. <laughs> That's, uh, yeah. But there's, I mean, the way it breaks out, we're looking at what should be some fun matchups in the Big East tournament. We're going to do a whole preview show on that. Joe and I are going to be there. Uh, we're going to be there with Henry of Big East Coast Bias. We just put out a Big East Coast Bias podcast, too, so check that out. We're going to be making content all next week from Madison Square Garden. So make sure that you are following us on Twitter. Follow our personal accounts at Joe Howie, at St. Dream. Follow us on Twitter. Subscribe wherever you're listening to this. Leave a nice little review. Leave us a kind note. We'd appreciate that. I, I, I could use some kind words. I, I always like to hear <laughs> yeah. that. Thank you very much for listening. For Joe Howie, I am Matt St. Jean, and uh, yeah, we're going to see you after the regular season is complete. Go Friars. <laughs> <laughs>